2: Now, non-stop sports talk continues with news and analysis from the lead writer of 1045TheZone.com.
0: Not the hero we deserve to the hero we need. This is the big six. It's gonna be you
1: with your host, Jason Martin. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal.
3: final day from radio row welcome in it's time for the one and only big six here on 1045 the zone i'm not even going to bother saying that it's straight up six o'clock by my watch because it's not because i'm still in the eastern time zone radio row winding down the big game just a couple of days away i talked a lot a couple of days ago and i told you you know what i might not get a chance to talk very much because of just the sheer humanity around and how many conversations there are to be had and guess what we got four of them coming up for you here tonight. Former LSU quarterback Josh Booty, and it's interesting to have you on because of Kyler Murray. Yep. Because you played baseball and football. I'm sure this is not news to you that that would be one of the reasons why it would be really fun to have you on right
2: now. I just see Kyler's over there in the Fox Sports booth hey, hey, over there. I'm like... I haven't met him before. I've watched him, of course, play. I've seen him play live, actually, but he you know, he looked small. I just, I wonder about him taking those hits in the NFL. That's the only thing that concerns me. You know, you lose a tenth of a second, a t- a two-tenths of a second on your 40, and it's hard to get away from those defensive linemen. So you play in
3: the MLB. You play in the NFL for a little while as well. You play both, and you're not short. I'm basically six two. So what are you? 6'4", six four? Six, six, four, five? six four. Yeah. So he's five nine and three
2: quarters, according to his own SID. Yeah. He, you know, he better be an athlete at five nine. I think that you know the wave of the future might be the RPO. It might be you know you get get you know get first downs, pick them up with your legs a little bit, your arm a little bit, quick throws, you know, all types of different things. And that's kind of how offenses have morphed into the National Football League, even from high school to college, now to the NFL. All this RPO stuff. I mean, you got Dak Prescott running Russell. Wilson, Russell Wilson, Baker Mayfield, uh, Watson. I mean, you got a lot of quarterbacks that are doing it. Why can't this kid do it? I mean, he's done. he's been successful on every level. It's just, I wonder about batted balls a little bit, and I wonder about an injury or two, if that would really affect his complete performance, because if you take out, take away his legs a little bit, he's got to be able to drop back in the pocket more, and then he's got to be, become reliable on his arm, and some of that size will, will really matter if you stay, if you hem him in the pocket, then size really does matter.
3: I mean, he's least very accurate he's one of the like two or three he most is. accurate quarterbacks in the history of college he's football
2: downfield but baker was too so i mean they got they're coaching them up lincoln riley's doing an unbelievable job do you wish you were playing now as opposed to when you did because of the rules designed to favor the quarterbacks
3: and the wide receivers and just these offenses with like kyle shanahan and sean mcveigh and all these
2: things that just seem like they're just success factories now it's a QB's dream to be playing now, and if you can throw the ball and run around, which I felt like I could do, I was athletic enough, I, I, a lot of the passes I completed at LSU were bootlegs and rollouts, I mean, because I was trying to get away from all the trash in the middle of the field, and I was athletic enough to throw on the run, and a guy like Elway or Favre or Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or Watson or and this guy, Kyler Murray, do that well, and so I think that's just the, the, really the evolution of the NFL is to let these guys be athletes, you know, they're such great athletes that that level uh, and I mean he had such great success at Oklahoma like I said in Lincoln Riley's offense that he just needs to do the same type of thing at the next level you know and but Oklahoma's always got great linemen great receivers great backs and so he's driving a Ferrari sitting back there Oklahoma he might not do, be, it be that it might not be that luxury he might not have that luxury at the NFL depending on what team he goes to whether he's that much better than everybody his teammates are that much better than everybody else because at Oklahoma he's better than everybody he plays until they get to the playoff
0: well
3: well he didn't have a defense though so he had to put up 60 yeah, points a game to Big win 12 a
2: little bit I mean you 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 know you that that whole conference seems like it's always 50 to 45 or 45 40 I mean all those games and so I you know he, he played well against Alabama but Alabama's secondary wasn't as good as it has been in, in recent years so you know but he was super productive and you could see him a little bit running around against some pretty fast guys and some NFL type of players so I mean I think he did enough to, to you know to help himself kind of parlay himself into a potential first-round pick which would be unprecedented for a guy that small what do you think about
3: Jalen Hurts Jalen Hurts leaves Alabama and goes to Oklahoma and I thought and said on the air and a lot of people disagree with me I think it's a mistake because I don't know that he can throw the football enough to do what Lincoln Riley asks a quarterback to do. I think he's a great athlete, an amazing winner, an amazing person, amazing competitor, but he's replacing back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners that were 70% completion passers, and that's the reason why Jalen Hurts isn't still at Alabama is because Tua was a much better quarterback. Much
2: more accurate, I think, down the field, much more accurate with the different types of throws, and see, that's what Lincoln Riley wants to do. He wants you to have to cover every blade of grass, you know, vertically and horizontally, and I don't think you know I, he's not near as good at passer as Baker and and uh, Murray. I just think that Hurts has got to really come along. I mean, he might, nothing's guaranteed. He might not even start there. We got to see what he does in the spring. Fair, but yeah. I mean, I think he's capable of playing and being the starter. I hope he can can grasp you know the passing style that they the nature that they play in which they play the game. But it's going to be interesting because I'm a, I'm a Jalen Hurts fan. I like that he stuck it out that extra year at Alabama. Sure. Shows us a lot about his character. But can he, like you said, can he complete balls up and down the field to stay with those Big 12 uh, offenses? You know, you got to put points on the board. We know he's athletically as gifted as anybody in the country and he's strong, physical, fast, but can he really complete balls when it matters down the stretch? And Oklahoma fans, are I'm sure, are wondering if he could do that.
3: Josh Booty joining us here. He was a quarterback for LSU, so let's talk about LSU a little bit. SEC may be a little bit different than when you were there. I didn't believe in Coach O, but I mean, I think you'd want to play for him about motivation and things like that. He seems like a a guy you'd want to play for. But do you think that's going to work long term?
2: You know, I do think he's a great leader. Of course, he's got that defensive line mentality, you know, bigger, faster, stronger. He, You know, LSU works really hard in the strength and conditioning side of things, and I think that's always going to give him a chance. I think he's also put a pretty good staff together. Aranda, the defensive coordinator, is really good. Dave, and then Steve Ensminger, who's been in football for 40 years. I mean, he was a quarterback himself. He really understands what they need to do to get better, and I think that's to be balanced and have a little bit better of a passing attack and, and develop that passing culture. I think if they can do that in the next couple of years, this year with Burrow coming back, uh, Joe Burrow. Did will, you like how Burrow, Burrow yeah, played I, better than I thought he was going I, he to out of played a lot better than I thought. I think we had... Uh, Vegas had us is about seven wins on the season. We, we uh, surpassed that, had ten wins on the year, so everybody's juiced about him returning. He didn't he didn't turn the ball over. I don't think he's a big-time NFL guy. I just think he can be the leader that we need to make the right decisions, and he's got a decent arm. He also makes some plays outside the pocket. He's kind of a poor man's golf. Uh, he could do some of the things that you need to do to win a championship. I just think we've got to get better on the offensive defensive line because the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world are just so physically gifted up front right now with the recruiting recruits that they have on on their roster that or the players they have on their roster and the recruiting that they've done recently that we're going to really have to step our game up to really get to that next level and get to that playoff but lsu's not that far away
3: you said poor man's golf so let's talk about golf for a second sean McVay is pretty incredible incredible enough that if you know him you now have a head coaching job apparently yeah in the nfl How much of Goff's success is Goff being talented and how much of it is Sean McVay's scheme just being perfect?
2: For a Jared Goff. both. I think mean, he's growing up and maturing as a player. I mean, he's in his third year. He's taking him to the to the to the Super Bowl, the biggest game in football, and and uh, having that luxury of McVeigh kind of working with him now and developing him as a quarterback instead of having Fisher who's a defensive guy. I think that was a huge move for the Rams and that having that guy the number one pick and developing him. I mean, it's a luxury to to have McVeigh, but to think that you're probably gonna be together for your whole career for the next ten years. I mean, that's an unbelievable luxury. So I think the sky's the limit for those two uh, together. they got to keep them together. Golf needs to stay healthy. But McVeigh being there has just been huge for golf, and we're going to see him get a little better every year until they end up doing something special like winning this big game.
3: You played in, in two pro sports. It's hard enough to get there, and it's incredibly hard, maybe even harder to find a way to stay there. Tom Brady's 41 going for a sixth Super
2: Bowl. How do you even describe the career he's had it's unbelievable I I remember I was a backup in Cleveland we go on the road to the old Foxborough and we met out on the 50 yard line before the game and we had a tight end from Michigan Aaron Shea who was his roommate in college and Aaron goes let's go talk to Brady before the game and and, uh, you know, see how things are going. And, and he hadn't but had but two or three starts at that point in his career. And we walked out there at, at the middle of the field, and, and I asked him, I was like, man, how you feeling? Congrats, you got the starting job. You're the guy now. How does it feel? He goes, He goes, I got this. I got this. And that's what he told me. And I never will forget that because I'm like, man, that's pretty – bold for him to say we're about to play him and he's telling me he was on the other team and he got this like he's pretty confident guy but yet he did it in a good way and so I've I've always appreciated him as a player because I knew he was ready then you know and he could have never got that opportunity I mean Bledsoe could have never got hurt on the sideline Brady could have been out of the league in three or four years and and always been a backup that's kind of what happened to me I, I, I backed up Tim Couch and he played in every game and I really never got a chance and then it's hard to get that second contract you know and so you know unless you get that chance there's a lot of difference between getting on the field getting that chance and not he he was able to get on the field and then just completely was a confident enough player in the beginning to be able to ride that thing and he had a great team great defense early on in his career and just he's gotten so better so much better and better every year and Josh McDaniels another luxury to have that offense for 10 plus years is huge you know that's what golf is going to have which is amazing when you really look at the future of the Rams franchise
3: I think it's I think it's uh, impossible to talk about offenses and benefits without talking about Kansas City yeah. and what Patrick Mahomes is doing. And, and, and you talk about a guy in Alex Smith that was there, and I've talked to a couple of people that were in that organization and said couldn't have had a better guy to sit behind than Alex Smith because Alex Smith didn't have all the tools, so he had to have it all up in the brain. He was able to teach that to Mahomes, who yeah, already had the to tools. And then you've got Andy Reid on top of that. So, I mean, what do you when you watch Mahomes – I I mean, he's basically a wizard. Yeah. Out there when he throws the football, what impresses you most about him?
2: Well, yeah, he does look like a shortstop. He, you know, he looks like a Derek Jeter or something. Where you throw him, you know, on the run, he's got just an unbelievable arm strength. I call it quick whip. I coach quarterbacks all the time, but he he really has that quick whip. He uses his hips real well, so he doesn't matter where he throws it from, whether it's with you know with his feet on the ground, off the ground. Aaron Rodgers has the same thing. He he twists and turns. He doesn't have to have his shoulders square a lot of times, and not a lot of quarterbacks can get away with that. They're, I've known Elway, Favre, Rodgers, and my. Mah- Mahomes Mahomes is now that kind of in that mold, but there's not many of them. Andy Reid knew he had something special just watching him out on the practice field throwing the football, you know, which is – it was impressive to see him what he did this year. But that offense is just unbelievable. And to have Andy Reid dialing the plays up and have Kelsey and, you know, Hall and Hill and all those guys, it's just unbelievable to see what they're going to do in the next 10 years because the sky's the limit for them too. Really, those two teams, we we thought we might get that Super Bowl, uh, and uh, New England was able to go in there and get it. But Mahomes – Pretty much a short. He's, he's, everybody's like, "Oh man, the guy threw a sidearm pass around a defender and all this." Right, but right. You think about a double play ball and, and someone hitting the ground at a second, he flips it over to short. There's someone sliding, and you got to throw it around the, sl- you know, to evade the slide, and you got to get the out at first base. Like that's what he does. You know, he just finds a way to get it out like a shortstop would if they're on a double play ball where a guy's trying to come in and take his knees out.
3: Josh Booty's been our guest here on the Big Six. Josh, it's been a pleasure uh, talking Thank you, to you. Thank you for that was Josh Booty coming up on the flip side, Jeff. Jeffrey Chidea of the NFL Network will talk some headlines with him. That ought to be fun. Coming up next from Radio Row here on the Big 6, 104.5. This is- Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Big 6 inside Radio Row here at the World Congress Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Jason Martin with you on Twitter at jmartzone. Joined by Jeffrey Chadia, who... First time I saw you, I believe you were filling in for Jim Rome on ESPN television. That's many, many years back now. At, I guess I'm old at this stage, but yeah,
1: it, was, it used to be like one of the regular fill-ins, right? Rome is burning, yeah, good memory. I think that was back in the late 2000s when Jim was still with ESPN. It was a fun show. It was, it was a great gig, too, by the way, because they paid you a couple grand to go out there and hang out in L.A. for a week and do about 10 minutes of TV, so uh, I'm missing those days now.
3: Yeah, now you're actually having to work for a living. Having to write and working for the NFL. I don't know. There's so many questions that could be asked this week, and I'm sure there are a million that have been asked 100,000 times. I spent hours last week lamenting NFL's overtime rules. I just think it's ridiculous. I think it's the worst rule in sports, and I always have. And the problem now is because it benefited the Patriots this time, it's just because I hate the Patriots that I believe that rule. It's not. I just feel like you have to play a full inning in baseball, in the tenth inning, you should have to play a full inning in football until somebody doesn't answer that bell. Do you feel like we're getting the best out of overtime right
1: now? See, I don't know. I've always, I, I like the old rules when it was sudden death. So you really—that's
3: so even worse.
1: Yeah, but I, I'll say this: um, people always talk about the Patriots Chiefs game. They don't talk about the Saints Rams game. True. And the Saints got the ball, start overtime. They could have gone on the field, scored a touchdown, and won the game, but they threw an interception. And the Rams won that game. So I always tell people that football is a game of offense, defense, and special teams. And whoever's out there, you got to rely on them to make a difference for you. And uh, unfortunately, the Chiefs didn't have the kind of defense that could allow them to deal with Tom Brady and that offense in overtime, and it cost them. And so instead of worrying about coin flips, I always tell people worry about your team getting better on defense and on offense and on special teams so they can actually weather uh, the storm in overtime. But, you know, I get what people are saying as far as the college rules may be better. The problem you run into is that you end up having really long games, you know, three or four overtime. It's, and I don't know if that's really football to me. When I mean, you're talking about a 70, a 71 score after six overtime, I don't know if that's what I want to see.
3: Yeah, I just. My argument against it is you ask Kansas City's defense, the worst of the eight units that were playing in those games that day, the offenses and defenses of those four teams, to go out there and stop the greatest quarterback of all time, and Patrick Mahomes is sitting on the sidelines knowing as soon as that ball's kicked off, yeah, we're done. Like he knew it in his head, and you don't ask the Patriots defense to do the same to Patrick Mahomes. That's why it just feels like rules should exist for a level playing field, and that creates the exact opposite of that.
1: And what I what I say to that, too, is uh, I wonder if people would have been upset if the Chiefs got the ball, Mahomes went down there and scored a touchdown, and they won the game. I'm sure 98% of America would be saying, thank God the Patriots didn't. <laughs> we wouldn't be having this big Oh, I wish it hadn't been the Patriots, day. then you couldn't have that argument. Yeah, which is the real issue, that people don't want to see the Patriots back there again, especially winning a coin flip and have a chance to take advantage of that defense. But as somebody who lives in Kansas City and knowing what that defense was about, Uh, all year long. I I kept telling people that as good as their offense is, it's very hard to win a championship with that kind of defense for that very reason. I mean, you need to have your defense make plays for you. Uh, They couldn't do it. And as much as we've talked about offensive explosiveness this year and offenses running wild and scoring a bunch of points, and it was fun to watch, and fun to watch quarterbacks like Patrick and Jared Goff and all these other guys putting up big yards and big points. uh, Ultimately, football is still about defense too. And you see the teams that are here, They're here because their defense has made big plays. I mean, the the Patriots shut down that offense in Kansas City for a full half. They're the Saints. I mean, the Rams beat the Saints because they got a defensive stop in overtime. They actually held a pretty good offensive team to 20 points in their own building. And so, again, people don't talk about that. That's a big part of why both these teams are here.
3: I'll tell you one thing people are talking about, uh, non-pass interference call that I'm sure you've been asked about about a trillion times. Roger Goodell finally addressed it yesterday. I've said since it happened, I don't really know. I knew he would address it yesterday, but people wanted him to address it immediately. What exactly he, is he going to say? Didn't we already all see it? The league knew it. We all knew that it was a blown call. No one has suggested otherwise. So what exactly was he going to say that was going to make anybody feel better?
1: Well That's what I agree with you on that point. It's I think they're asking for him to play God and go back and You know, replay the game, change the rules. Nothing he can do right now is going to help the Saints feel better about this. And my only issue with the way the refs handled it, and I think we'll be talking about this right now if they had done this, come out and tell us what you saw. Don't tell us, you know, you didn't throw the flag or whatever. Tell us why you decided not to throw the flag, because it's pretty obvious that it was either pass interference or targeting or actually both. And yep. so if you were being – we have all every offseason, we have all these discussions with referees. They show us all these tapes and talk about what they want to emphasize. And we all know that's a point of emphasis, going to the head. And so why in that moment would those refs not call that penalty? I, I, if that ever gets answered, this whole issue might start going away.
3: Is the quality of officiating across the league up to par? I mean, it's, you're going to get criticized any time there's a bad call. It's the most thankless job, that in place kicker. Are the two jobs I just don't think you would want anyone
1: want, want to have, but the officiating seems to have not been very good this season. I think the bigger issue is that they're asking them every year to call more and more stuff, to emphasize more and more stuff. They're changing more and more rules, and I think at some point we always talk about how they're human. I think the average human has a hard time trying to figure out how do we let how do we adjudicate this game, how do we keep track of all these things we have to call. And I think it becomes harder. I think there's a lot more thinking going on instead of reacting. And that, that play in New Orleans was a perfect example of that, where you're talking about it should have been a simple, hey, that's a penalty, throw a flag. But now you got guys thinking about, well, was the ball past him? Uh, Where's he on in the field? Did he go to his head? And it's just, I think they were paralyzed. And also the situation, and you know, probably didn't want to be, have that game decided by an official's call. All these things coming into play make it harder for refs to do their jobs.
3: The Sean McVeigh coaching tree that if you have been at a dinner with him, you may be a head coach in the NFL right now. We lose Todd Bowles, we lose Marvin Lewis, and you look back to college, even if you look at coordinator jobs, offensive coordinator in particular, not seeing a whole lot of minority candidates. Now, the Rooney rule is still there. I don't know if it goes, I don't know exactly how effective it is except getting guys out there in, in an interview process to learn what's going on, but what's the fix here? And should it start in college? Because college
1: doesn't get talked about nearly enough as it relates to that issue. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I've made that point before too, that as much as we complain about the lack of opportunities, we don't spend enough time looking at the pipeline. And We talk about a quarterback-driven league We want to have people who play quarterback coaching. They want to have people who know how to coach quarterbacks coaching. And you don't see a lot of black people doing those jobs. And so that's the first place to start is how do you get more Owners okay with the idea of hiring black offensive coordinators, grooming black Steve in positions to run offenses. Uh, you don't see it in the pros that much. You certainly don't see it in college that much. I have friends in college who I played football with who talk about and it's hard to get. It's hard to get a assistant coaching job nowadays because you have a lot of people here who are uh, you know have their own guys. They hold on to their own staff. It's hard to get you know to, to break in, and so. There's that you know, what happened in Ohio State this past year when Urban Meyer stepped down and Ryan Day was handpicked to be that kind of stuff is part of the problem. Because <laughs> you're not going out and interviewing the best guys. Right. You're Just saying, hey, who we want, right? We're gonna go with them. Happened at Oklahoma. Those are prominent programs and look what's happened now. Lincoln Riley's up for a head coaching job. You know, his, his name's a hot name in yeah, the coaching job. Cliff sure. uh, Kingsbury is a hot name out there. I still don't understand that one. I, don't I mean, that a, dude uh, can
3: get a job anywhere, but his alma mater yeah. got fired from. It and was the worst coach in the last three decades. But he threw for a lot of yards. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was thirteen and nineteen under Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech.
1: I yeah. just, I'm just, I fail to understand the logic behind that one. And wasn't even that pass coming into college? Right, into the pros. Yeah, he, he was considered a bit of a project. Yeah. On the flip side, though. Look at Eric Bieniemy, who was a running backs coach. gets to be the offensive coordinator, and he followed a guy in Matt Nagy. He followed a guy in Doug Peterson. The two guys came before him. One won a Super Bowl two years after he got a head coaching job. The other guy is NFL Coach of the Year. Now this guy can't get a look, can't get a job for it because he's not ready. Like, that's the stuff that starts to make you wonder what's really happening here.
3: About a minute left. One other thing about that, though. Maybe it has to be a gradual process. If you're looking for quarterbacks and quarterback whispers, when Deshaun Watson retires, I'd want that guy coaching quarterbacks. When Patrick Mahomes retires, I'd want that guy coaching quarterbacks. There just haven't been that many black quarterbacks that get that kind of look. And I think maybe the more of those that we see, maybe Kyler Murray turns into a real
1: superstar and then he's another guy you add to that list. I remember something Jeff Blake told me a long time ago, a long-time quarterback who was, ended up being a backup. Right, somewhat. yeah. And toward the end of his career, he told me something that I still remember now when we started having these conversations. He said, Jeff, it's hard for black quarterbacks to be long-time backups in this league. You start looking at all the guys who end up getting backup jobs, like the Chase Daniels, the Josh McCollins, guys who will probably someday be coaches. Like, that's that's the track to get on if you want to get into a head coaching job or an offensive coordinator job, being able to stick around. And so you don't see guys like Dante Culpepper or... You know, Josh Johnson, I guess, came back, you know, but he was working at FedEx Extra something right. like for So you don't see those guys who've been high-level stars in this league being able to land those jobs where they can stick around for 10 years and move into coaching because those guys are pretty much coaches anyway. And, and so, yeah, it's a big issue there. It's a definitely a big issue.
3: Jeffrey, it's been a pleasure. Coming up next, I'm going to be pretty excited because, well, Neil Smith's going to join me. And even though he played for the rival Kansas City Chiefs to my Denver Broncos, he also played for the Chargers. Uh, he won a couple Super Bowls in Denver. So uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Neil Smith coming up. Great stuff just now with Jeffrey Chadia. We'll be right back live from Radio Row here on 104.5 The Zone. Zone on
2: 104.5 The Zone.
3: Welcome back in. We are still hanging out on Radio Rose. Still some things happening behind us here in Atlanta. Our thanks to Jeffrey Chadia for joining us. Also, Josh Booty, if you missed those conversations, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, Big Six with Jason Martin. And also you can subscribe to all the Zone shows through the Zone podcast. Just go to Apple, wherever it is that you get your podcast, and we'll we'll take care of the rest. Just subscribe. It's all free. You'll get everything that you might miss during your work day. Right now I bring in... Neil Smith, he played for my Broncos for a couple years after playing for the hated Chiefs, and then he also was with the Chargers. Could you get out of the AFC
4: West, Neil? Can we please get you out of the AFC West? Well, you know what? You almost did. I almost was drafted to the Oakland Raiders, so that would have been interesting to see. I would have played in the whole West, but I did play for every every team but the Oakland, but nobody's talking about Oakland. Well, you said you were the missing piece. John Elway
3: won two Super Bowls, and he walked off the field and did what no athlete seems to be capable of doing, which is retiring when he could still play. Tom Brady's 41. He's won five Super Bowls, goes for a sixth on Sunday. Is that dude going to stop playing, or does he just not know what to do with his life once he does stop? Because once you stop playing football, that's been your life, and you can tell this story too. Did you know where you were headed at the end? Did you have a plan for your life afterwards? Because I imagine there's a lot of guys that maybe don't think that far
4: ahead. I don't think that you know. I, I think that Tom knows that he had his family and his kids um, to have to be with you know in his life. To you know after after football, I just think that Tom Brady can do whatever he wants to do. Um, he's definitely um, earned that that respect in my in my in my point of view. I think that um, you know for the game has changed now. It's switched. You know, it's no more that you can hit the quarterback and drive him into the. On tackling him anymore, so I think that the wave of it, um, he hit it at the right time, and that's why he feel like he could play to forty. He know that they're well protected, and, and you know, and the quarterbacks is is what drives this league now. And you know, um, Tom Brady have they have the right to walk off whenever he wants to. I mean, I would have exit stage if he were to win this one. I would get off and go, but he said he want to play to forty five, and I guess he don't think that he can, he can still throw it. So long as he, can, he can throw the ball, you know, he's still Tom Brady.
3: Yeah, and he only got sacked twenty one times this year. That offensive line is keeping them pretty healthy, and I guess they have for a long time. You said the game's changed. Would you want to play defense now with the way the rules are set up? It would not I mean, it would bother you in terms of being able to drive the quarterback into the ground. Guys are getting hurt trying not to do that, but especially secondary right now seems like not where I would want to be. I mean, if you're an athlete, you're gonna play because you love it. But it is not easy to play defense in this league I now.
4: Wish, I just wish that the, you know the league would change back some of the rules in favor of the defensive back. Field. you know, okay, you got it up front, highly respect. You can't drive the quarterback and do those things. But when you take away, you know, um, you can't use it, You know, you can't chuck a guy five yards down the field or you know that time. It's kind of hard on the DB. That's one of the hardest positions to play as it is, and it has made it that harder. You know, that the quarterbacks now and the way the games changed is always going towards everybody's just like. Throwing the ball, you know, every down is a throwing down situation. Whether it's a two-yard pass or one-yard pass, they got a pass play for that. And uh, so I'm just thinking that, you know, what the league is changing now is for the good. Can I play in this league now? Absolutely. There's no doubt I think I can. I think I can play in it. Um, you know, I, you know uh, I was a pass rusher. And, you know, I don't think the guys is, is, is really respecting the run anymore. I think everybody really want to play, you know, want to um, be able to, to uh, you know, sack the quarterback. And that's what, that's what everybody wants. They want those numbers now.
3: You're an edge rusher. And there are some good edge rushers in the game right now. Where do you uh, – what, what guys do you look at right now and say – all right, now that guy's unbelievable. Now, I know we've got Aaron Donald playing on Sunday. He might be the best player in the league if you just look at what he does compared to what everybody else does. But he's on the interior. Who's the guys on the edge? I mean, I know, you know, J.J. and those guys, but who else is out there?
4: Well, I mean, you look at, you know, look at look at Devon, you know, Mills and you look at, you know, the J.J. watch. I think Devon, uh, he set the stone, you know. I just think the, those guys, those edge rushers, you know, uh, they not nullified the position. You know, they come from outside. Most of them are backers now. Um, you got good, good good defensive ends that can rush the passer. But now the game has changed going in the inside. Quarterbacks don't like that. The one-on-ones now matches the guys are, like Donovan, that's in the inside, can can create that one-on-one match and, and, and beat his guy inside and get off the ball quick. And if they throw the ball that's where you want to be at. You want the shortest way to the quarterback, not the longest way. Right, so, right. you know, I think that uh, when you when they approach this week, approaching Tom Brady, they have to have a plan, a game plan. You know, what do you, you know, you got to stop the, the initial push up the face because um, Tom Brady do not like it. You know, he do not like it noisy up in the middle. You know, he, he can fill the guys off the edge and step up and get that little pocket to throw the ball in. So it'd be very interesting to see where the game is, uh, how we gonna be playing and play that chess match um, in your brains as a player when you watch the Super Bowl. It's pretty interesting.
3: Great. Neil Smith joining us. He's here on behalf of the Low T Center. We'll talk about that uh, here coming up. So Charles Barkley, he would always say that the best player that he played against was Michael Jordan because, of course. But he would also say the toughest guy to play against was Kevin McHale. So I could say who's the toughest guy that you've played against or the best guy, and you might say Joe Montana, yeah. but who's the guys that you're just like, oh, I've got to line up
4: against this guy again this week? Always, you know, I've always I played him only a few times. It was Anthony Munoz, and I've always always given Anthony Munoz the holly respect because he was the guy that really changed Neil Smith to who he was. Uh, when I first played against him, I played awful, And, I, I mean, I think this Hall of Fame guy, he just whipped me up and down the field that whole day. And we lost a football game to him. And uh, I walked into the team as a young player. I was like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. I play so bad. I feel bad about how I played, you know, against this guy. And I don't even want to watch the film. And I just told the team, I said, you know what? Where we go from here, I do not want to ever allow this to happen again. And it changed my attitude towards how I would approach game and guys that I was good. He was the toughest guy that I ever played against. Now, the guy I hated to go against, of course, would, would be the John Elway because yeah. John Elway always found a way of winning. And you know what? Me and Derek Thomas at the time, if we didn't know how to get to uh, John Elway and to rattle him, they even sack him, and he still would get up and, and make a smile. He would always make a play. It's like you just couldn't take off. Now the now it has changed now. Kansas City's got that momentum back with Mahomes and to see the things he kind of remind me of the things that I used to do against John Elway, so
3: disappointed the overtime rules didn't uh enable Mahomes to get on the field against the Patriots. I have maligned this rule for so long that it does not make sense that both
4: teams don't get to touch the football. Well that's what me and you're different. You you like it, don't you? I that's what me and you're different because here's what here's what I think. You know, and I was and I was explaining this earlier to like, you know, why do the home team always defer the ball in the beginning uh, in the beginning of the of the game and the coin toss because they want to adjust in the second half? Right. They did that in a, in an AFC championship game, and Kansas City wanted to the toss. They should any defer to the second half. I think that if you have the number one offense. You don't let New England get the ball first and put it in Tom Brady's hands to go down the score with you. You're supposed to put up the score, and it's and it's a passing league now, and it's a and it's a the, the who's gonna get the ball last type of situation. Well, that that coin toss, you're not gonna win every coin toss. Now had Kansas City won a coin toss. It'd have been very interesting to see. So yeah, they that's didn't why. Win. Yeah, that's why I beg. I mean, win. it could have been. I mean, both defenses. I mean, he got hot, and it's kind of bad that that it happened that way. But you know. You don't go down in one place. It doesn't make a difference. And I would game. debate you for hours about this. <laughs> I just it drives me insane. So you're here
3: on behalf of Loti Center, uh, LotiCenter.com. is a wonderful, wonderful organization yes. that we partnered with with, the, with our station for a long time down here on Radio Rosa. So just, just talk about. Well, what I'll tell you, you what,
4: man. Is. You know, ten years ago when I met Mike, um, the founder and the CEO, and he had a vision. He had a vision about what he wanted to go at with his company, and and I just happened to run up on him, you know. Out and and he was explaining to me his vision where he was where he's gonna bring his business and his centers and 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 his vision came through for him that he will still here like a ten years later talking about the low T center when I first got when I first got involved with the low T center I was just a spokesman now I become I became a, a client of the low T center and it's really impacted my life in so many different ways where I feel like you know uh, I can sit here as a fifty three year old man and feel like I'm. Forty again, and and it and it feels like that. I feel like I can play again. I know I physically I can't play again, but in my mindset I really think that I can go back on the NFL, and that's what it is. At one time I was running high blood pressure, and I had a low, a low self-esteem, and I was really getting down on myself and didn't know why. Four years later. I become this client. I started getting my shots. I went into the low T center and got my, you know, got my levels checked and I was needing to, to really embrace where I wanted to do in my life. And it changed my life. It actually changed it. I'm just speaking because I'm trying to save, people's life i want them to to go to any 40 any any 47 locations in your city and go to the low t center.com
3: it's just a it's a wonderful place it's, it does so much good men's health doesn't get talked about enough low t center does fantastic stuff before i let you go who wins the game on sunday is brady getting a sixth or is this wonder can sean mcveigh all that in a bag of chips as they
4: said back in the 90s well, you know, I looked at this game in so many ways. No one is giving the Rams no respect at all. None at all. And and, and I think that they have a good defensive team, and they have a great offense. This, If it going down to a score, the Rams will win. But I'm going to go like this. I'm going to say that New England, on, a, on a behalf of New England, they have not lost two back-to-back Super Bowls. And I don't think that they will win. I won't think that they will lose this one. I think Brady wants this one more than anything. And I think that it would be a, a nice close game if the Rams don't blow him up. But I think New England wins this game.
3: I really do. I think Mahomes is coming. So I think Brady new knows.
4: Mahomes is coming, bro. And Mahomes knocking at the door and he's hungry. And the Kansas City Chiefs are hungry. And he brought that new vibe to them. And, you know, it's going to be some great games down the line. We'll be talking about, you know, me and you will come back and talk about how great this guy was. It's, it's, it'll be interesting to see. It's going to be a pass of the torch when Brady stepped down. I think then the AFC will change again to another dynasty. State.
3: Neil, thank you for winning a Super Bowl for me in Denver. I watched three losses in a row with Elway. Then yes. we get Terrell Davis and we get you, and all of a sudden we win a couple of rings. I'm looking at him. That's just absolutely yes. fantastic. It's really good to catch up with you.
4: Thank you, man. I appreciate it very much. Great interview.
3: That is Neil Smith. On behalf of the Low-T Center, lowtcenter.com back in a moment, Big 6, 104.5, the zone. Boom. Final segment of the week, live here from Radio Row. Joined by, well, he used to work for ESPN. Now he's doing his own thing. Great Ed Werder, who's going to be on the sidelines for the Super Bowl. Westwood One Radio joins us here. All of these new head coaching hires. There's the Sean McVay joke about if you've known Sean McVay at some point in your life, you're probably a head coach. Matt LaFleur was in Nashville for a year. Questionable, I guess you would say, and now he's coaching Aaron Rodgers. He's the first guy off the board, Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. I feel like the trend is you'd better get an offensive guy because if you don't, somebody else is going to make him a head coach, and it's going to be harder to just keep replacing coordinators on the offensive side than the defensive side. Is that kind of the trend as it stands now, and do you see it changing? It doesn't seem like it with the rules the way they're set right now.
0: Right. Well, what the Titans did in, in hiring Uh, Mike Vrabel as our head coach, a guy from a defensive orientation, has not been the norm. There have been 19 head coaches hired in the last three years, and 16 of them have been from the offensive side of the ball. And so what happens when you're depleting candidates from one side of the ball at that kind of a rate, then teams begin taking more chances because like you said, Zach Taylor's just been a quarterback's coach, and he has not called plays. Matt LaFleur called plays for just one year, and I don't, I'm not so sure he accomplished the organizational goal of making Marcus Mariota a more right. efficient passer. And then Kingsbury was 13-19 and 19 with Mahomes is the worst coach in Texas Tech in the last three decades. And he fails up to yeah. be the guy that's somehow going to save and Josh Rosen. I, I mean, it's, it speaks a lot to what McVay has accomplished. Sure. And, and, I mean, what he's done in terms of taking over a Rams team that was 4-12 and and winning the division one year and going to the Super Bowl the next and inheriting the number 32-ranked scoring offense and in one year, for the first time in history, taking it right to the top spot. And now this year... They're second in the league in scoring, but they're they scoring three more points per right. game than they did last year when they right. led the league. So right. I understand the fascination with, with that, and, and that's the way, like you said, the rules are set up to win on offense. But I think defense is an important part of the game still. And if you hire the right people, a defensive head coach like Mike Vrabel, I think Mike Vrabel's going to be successful if he, if he already isn't successful. Uh, because he, he coaches mentality. Uh, he knows how to run a locker room. Uh, he creates toughness and a mindset. Um, so I have no doubt that. Mike Vrabel's a guy who's going to succeed in the NFL, even though he doesn't come from the offensive side of the ball.
3: You know, I'm hoping Vic Fangio is the same because I'm a Denver Broncos fan, I have been my whole life. So I'm really hoping that works out. Ed Werder, our guest here on the Big Six on 104.5 the zone. Ed, you used to work for ESPN. Now you're working with Westwood One. I've talked to other folks that have left one organization, especially that one in particular, and gone elsewhere. Are you finding it more freeing? Like, are you enjoying what you're doing now on a different level maybe in terms of you can kind of pick and choose, you can do what you want to do, you can be Ed Werder without
0: having to be Ed Werder in the ESPN box? Well, I I loved what I did um, at ESPN, and I didn't leave of my own volition. Right. Um, And I'm still under contract, so they still have control over what I do and don't do. I have to have them approve anything. Uh, And I'm fortunate that they've allowed me to do games for Westwood 1. And the unique thing about... Um, the Westwood One group, which I find to be a highly professional, well-respected group, um, is that now I'm on the sideline during games, whereas before I'd be on the sideline yeah, like the Sideline stuff. It's, it's a different thing. I mean, yeah. it's a, there's a health and safety issue that doesn't exist in the press box when you're watching <laughs> the game, first of all, um, and, and it's a it's a unique plot. Like I never covered a Super Bowl from the field until I did last year. And so, yeah, to be integrated in that way is a different thing. But I did love what I uh, I was doing at ESPN. I, I went to a great game every weekend. Uh, sometimes I went to two games. I went to the studio the last four or five years and was an insider and contributed in that way, which was new still to me, and I thought I was still evolving in that role. So uh, I'd, I'd be willing to consider going forward either one of those options. I was well, listening to Robert Mays
3: and Kevin Clark talking about the quarterback situation for Sean McVay and how Jared Goff has really come around over the last few years under Sean McVay. And then they started positing who's the worst quarterback in the NFL that could still be in the Super Bowl with Sean McVay. That's where we are with Sean McVay, who has not won a Super Bowl yet, but there's no reason to think that that if anybody can beat the Patriots right now, it's that guy. I, I've never seen anything like the rise of this guy.
0: Well, it's, it's historic, as I mentioned, in terms of what he's achieved offensively um, and there's no question that the rams went all in this season to try to get here i mean they, they acquired two starting cornerbacks marcus peters and a keep to leave in trades they traded a first round pick for brandon cooks to have a vertical threat in the passing game and then they spent 14 million dollars on indomitian sue uh, so clearly this was their goal uh, well, they're, they're one step from their goal. Yep, their right. goal was not to get here but to win. Um, and so, obviously, they made a major investment in the defensive side of the ball, and they really need that uh, to pay dividends on Sunday because we've seen how well the Patriots have run the football in the playoffs and have dominated time of possession in both of their games. And if the Rams can stop the run game... Then all they've really done is they've succeeded in putting the game in Tom Brady's hands. Yeah, so that's,
3: yeah, that's very that's so dicey, that's a daunting thing. I was talking
0: to, yeah, I talked to Wade Phillips, who's called plays defensively against Joe Montana in a Super Bowl that he lost 55 to 10 and now you're trying to do it against Tom Brady. But he did it against Tom Brady in Denver to keep him from a Super Bowl three years ago when his Denver team won with defense in the Super Bowl against Cam Newton. They won the AFC Championship that game in Denver against Brady and they sacked him four times, they picked him off twice, and they hit him 20 times in that game. That was the most times any quarterback in the league was hit in any one game. So Wade Phillips knows how to create a game plan that gets pressure on the quarterback and he's got to succeed in that regard this week. Are you allowed to make a pick? I guess I could. I, I don't feel great about, I have no real conviction about my pick, but I find it hard to go against all of the incredible experience advantages that the Patriots have in this game. That being said, i 'm going to back myself up by noting that had we had we known last year if somebody had come to you at the end of last year's Super Bowl and said, "Hey, Tom Brady and the offense had six hundred yards in this game with no turnovers and no punts, and the Eagles had to start their backup quarterback, who do you think won and what was the score? We just said the Eagles won fifty or the uh, Patriots won fifty to three, and in fact they lost so I think the Patriots will win, but I'm not totally convinced of that.
3: Ed Werder has been our guest here on the Big Six. Ed, has been a pleasure. Thanks for joining. And that's Ed Werder, and we're out of time. And guess what? I taped a bunch of other stuff, and, of course, one hour for three days just doesn't give you all the time. So be some bonus podcasts coming up. If you don't subscribe to the Big Six with Jason Martin, now is the time to do that. Should have already done it. You get all the conversations that we didn't have an opportunity to play here as folks came in live, but I've been here all day these three days just collecting a bunch of content. I think it's content you're going to enjoy, so check it out. And the big game, of course, Sunday. Full coverage here on 104.5 The Zone. Analysis on Monday. That is it. I am signing off for all of us here on 104.5 The Zone. Thank you very much to Ferguson Bath, Kitchen & Lighting, as well as the Low T Center. The big game on Sunday. Coverage here on The Zone. Reaction on Monday. It's been the Big Six. Clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. God bless. And good night from Atlanta.